Pues Dawson, es un gran privilegio estar aquí con ustedes esta mañana. Quisiera dar un, una bienvenida especial a la congregación hispana. Les, les cuento que realmente me, me anima mucho verlos a todos aquí. Se dice que el español es el idioma del cielo. Sin embargo, no estamos ahí todavía, así que esta mañana... Voy a predicar principalmente en inglés, así que puede ser una práctica para ustedes para aprender inglés. Pero creo que en este momento los que no hablan español tal vez están nerviosos porque no saben si van a entender. Pero para los que es el caso, I can assure you that I won't be speaking in Spanish for the entirety of the sermon this morning. Uh, as I shared with the Hispanic congregation, uh, it's said that Spanish is the language of heaven. And so when I found that out, I figured I'd better get a jump start in learning it. And if you ever want to come practice with us over at 11 o'clock in the chapel, you're more than welcome. Dawson family, it is a true joy to be with you this morning. Uh, as Pastor David said in the video, uh, my name is Kyle Young, and I have the great privilege of serving alongside our Hispanic congregation here at Dawson. Uh, it's so neat for me to think about a group from church being in Ecuador right now, because when I was 15 years old, uh, with one year of high school Spanish under my belt, uh, I went on a mission trip uh, to Ecuador with my dad, my family sitting over here. Uh, my dad and I went on this mission trip, and it was there that God really just planted a love for Spanish uh, and for cross-cultural ministry uh, in my heart. And so even seeing from then until now, just the way he's orchestrated so many things to bring us here together today. So as Pastor David also mentioned, I have a joy of serving at Beeson Divinity School uh, in the Office of Admission. And one of the things that's currently on my to-do list is, is to send out an application for our student ambassadors. Uh, our student ambassadors serve in a, a variety of key ways. They help uh, with prospective student visits, campus visits. They sometimes travel on behalf of the school to to share who we are and what we do and invite others to be a part of it. Perhaps some of you have served as ambassadors or as representatives of a team or a school uh, or maybe of, of your country. And you know, if that's the case, that it is a great, uh, great responsibility to, to represent someone, an organization or a person that's, that's larger than yourself. But you also know that if you have been uh, changed or affected or formed uh, by a person or organization, that it's a great honor and joy to serve as an ambassador or a representative for them. Well, in our text this morning, Paul describes being an ambassador for Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Si tienes sus Biblias, vamos a estar en 2 Corintios capítulo 5 esta mañana that we've heard read this morning. Here, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he spends a lot of time explaining his, or, or, or defending his role as an apostle. Uh, he had a kind of contentious relationship with the church in Corinth, and so here he has to spend a lot of time explaining that his ministry as an ambassador or as, a, uh, as an apostle looks different than what people might expect. Paul, in a lot of ways, didn't fit the profile of your typical ambassador. He um, would often appear weak in front of people, and he didn't enjoy the rights and privileges that ambassadors had. In particular, he was in prison a lot, and ambassadors were supposed to be protected from being put in jail. And so Paul spends some time here explaining, uh, defending his role as an ambassador, as an apostle. 
And so in the few minutes this morning, what I want us to see from this text, from 2 Corinthians, is that God reconciles people to himself through his Son, empowering them by his Spirit as new creation ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. That's a, that's a long phrase with a lot of big words. So let me say it again, and then we'll go step by step. So God reconciles people to himself through his Son, empowering them by his Spirit as new creation ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. Hermanos y hermanas, usualmente tenemos la conclusión al final. Este más o menos es la conclusión que voy a predicar esta mañana. Que Dios reconcilia a personas a sí mismo por medio de su Hijo, dándoles poder a través de su Espíritu como embajadores de la nueva creación con el mensaje de reconciliación. So we're going to look at a couple of, a few different aspects of this text, and that starts with our need for reconciliation. You know, we live during a day and age in which a lot of Christian teachings are familiar in, in society at large. Um, and, and a lot of teachings are even acceptable for, for non-believers. Uh, few people are going to argue or, or be, uh, have problem with the Christian teaching of the Imago Dei, that we are created in God's image, which should lead us to treat every person with dignity and respect. And yet there are some doctrines or teachings of the Christian faith that, uh, that will, people will find offensive. And, and I think increasingly in our society, and especially for younger generations, you will find that the doctrine of sin will be one that a lot of people don't like to hear. And yet, Scripture teaches clearly that we are created in the image of God. We are image bearers. But at the same time, we have tainted that image. We, we have sinned and done things uh, that, that um, separate us from God and create all kinds of negative effects. We live in a fallen and broken world. And we see this in verse 16 of our text here. And Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, flesh was a way in the New Testament of Paul of, of talking about uh, an earthly point of view, uh, living a life that goes against God's standards for a wholly set-apart humanity. So when Paul says we used to see things according to the flesh, he's saying we used to see things from this worldly or earthly point of view. We could probably fill in the blanks with a lot of different particular sins that would affect people's outlook. But I think something that all these have in common, all, all the sins have in common, is, is a, a desire to live for yourself. We might call it pride. And so, Paul, and that's exactly what Paul says. You see in verse 15, uh, he's talking about Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Oh, Corinth was a city that was, was a very—one uh, commentator says the vanity fair of the Roman Empire. A lot of diversity, a lot of potential for upward mobility. Uh, you could go there to live a life of luxury, and so there was a lot of materialism uh, in Corinth. And so we can imagine a temptation for people living there to, um, to, to, to be drawn to the allures of, of money and sex and power that would draw them to the city. And while those things may not be bad in and of themselves, the pride that goes this living for themselves would take advantage of those things and blind them from 
seeing anything else other than my own agenda. And so it would believers and non-believers would be tempted then to, to view others, to judge others based on their outward appearance or their level of influence in society or, or how much they can help me. How does this decision or this person or this opportunity help me in my journey upward in society? I think a lot of times the same drive to live for ourselves is, is not something we have to go to ancient Corinth to see. We hear day in and day out messages like, live your best life, do what makes you happy, kind of you do you. And we see in Scripture that sin or, or living according to the flesh with our own desires at the forefront has major consequences, not only in how we treat other people. It, starts, it, cre- it causes us to separate people into the haves and to the have-nots, but also creating division between ourselves and our Creator. See, sin, properly understood, is more than just doing bad things or not doing good things. Sin is, is rebellion against a holy God. It's probably easy for, for some of us to, to see what's happening in Europe and to condemn the sort of spirit of Russian aggression that would invade Ukraine. We see the, the devastating effects that it has caused. And, and I, I wonder, though, if we realize that when we sin against God, it is that same spirit that we demonstrate, that we invade his good creation with our own agendas and desires, and it creates devastating effects in, with ourself and the world around us, and with ourself and with God. And while sanctions may have some effect in Europe, they are not enough to deal with our problem of sin. Something greater is needed to bring peace and reconciliation. Which brings us this morning to our second point in the good news of the work of God in Christ. In these few verses, we get perhaps one of the clearest explanations of the gospel, the good news that we can have peace with God, how we can be reconciled. And a couple of different times, if you notice in verses 18 and 19, Paul uses the verb to reconcile. Verse 18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then he goes on in verse 19 to explain further, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's important to note here the subject of these verbs. In both cases, as well as throughout the New Testament, the subject of these verbs is God. That God is the initiator of reconciliation. Now, that would have gone completely against some of the understanding of reconciliation at that time. A lot of scholars around Paul's day would understand this as we need to reconcile ourselves to God. We might understand that in our context is this sort of pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and do your very best so that you can have a life with God. And yet that is the very opposite of the gospel. Here in Scripture, we see that God initiates reconciliation. And how does he do it? Verse 19 says, he did not count their sins, their trespasses against them. Now, it would be one thing for God to just overlook sin, sweep it under the rug, ignore that. 
that would actually not be a loving thing to do. You know, if you have had um, conflict with someone, if you've been wronged by someone or have wronged another person, you know that in order to have a real restored relationship or peace, there has to be hard work to repair what was broken, to deal with that issue. And here, God does deal with sin. We see in verse 21 very clearly how. For our sake, it says, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect human life, complete obedience to the Father, complete peace with God. Jesus never sinned. And yet out of his love for you and me, he became so closely identified with us that he was treated as if he had sinned. And he did that so that he could take our place, to receive the punishment that we deserve, the judgment of God by death on a cross. If Paul had been listening to his Spotify as he's writing, he probably had playing in the background the the Old Testament servant song of of Isaiah 52 and 53. It says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. What Isaiah prophesied then is now brought to uh, fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That his life and death and resurrection, through that, Jesus offers us a peace treaty. A divine exchange that our punishment for his peace our sinfulness for his righteousness, so that if we repent of our sin and place faith in him, we can be the righteousness of God, to have a perfect score in God's eyes. After I graduated from college, I had the opportunity to teach high school, uh, social studies at an international Christian school in Bolivia. And I didn't expect all my students to love history. I personally did not like history in high school, but I did expect them to try hard and to do their very best. There was one day uh, I prepared students for a test in world history, and this one student just did not care and, and just kind of completely bombed the test. And I think it was, I think out of 100 points, maybe got a 17. And you teachers are like, having a mild heart attack, did you hear that? And, and you know that it was very hard for me to see that. Uh, it, was, it saddened me, but it also frustrated me. And as I was sitting there about to grade, I, I just I sensed that maybe God was wanting to teach something else beside what was on our history test, that chapter. And this student was not a believer. And so I, out of reluctance at first, I took my pen and I took her test, and I went through, and all of the incorrect answers I crossed out, and I wrote the correct answer. And then all the blanks, the many, many blanks that were there, I filled in with the correct answer. I put a score of 100 on the test, and I took it back with me the next day. Now, students, don't go thinking that this is an excuse to ask your teacher for a free 100, right? That's a Romans 6 sermon for another time. But in this instance, I wanted to teach something different. So it gave me the opportunity. I I took the test back. The student, as you can imagine, was very confused. 
uh, came up to me after class, uh, Mr. Young, something, something's wrong. Uh, this, is, this isn't my test. Like, this isn't even my handwriting. And so I smiled and said, I know it's not, but it is your 100 if you will accept it. And that opened the door to be able to explain this concept of gospel grace, that receiving something we don't deserve. See, her efforts merited a 17. And if we were to compare our lives to the perfect life that God requires of us, a 17 would probably be the best that we can do. We just, living in a sinful, fallen world, we just can't make the cut. And yet God, out of his love for us, offers this divine exchange. Christ's 100 for our 17. If we will repent, turn from our sins, and confess faith in Christ in him. So friends, that is good news this morning, that we can be reconciled to God through his son. But as you'll remember from our proposition at the beginning, there's another step that this text takes us to, that that we are reconciled to God through his son, but also how that applies to our lives in a daily basis is that he empowers us by his spirit to go as new creation ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. So we're going to end this morning in verses 17 and 20 with as new creation ambassadors. The verse that's likely most familiar to us is verse 17 that says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, when you hear this verse, you're probably like me, think about an individual sense of transformation that happens when we come to know the Lord. For some of you, that may have happened in a dramatic way with circumstances. For some of you, it may be slowly over time as God changes your affections and your purpose and your desires. And all that is true. But I think Paul here has wants us to see a different aspect of of the gospel. Uh, I think he has a more cosmic uh, idea in mind. There's a greater scope to salvation than individual conversion. See, the word for, for creation here is Genesis language. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And with the resurrection of Jesus, God brings about a cosmic change in the universe, rewiring the very fabric of the universe. And so when we place our faith in him, we are made new internally, but we are also brought into this new creation. What is the new creation? Again, if we go back to Isaiah, he gives us a a bit of a vision. Isaiah chapters 11, 65, and 66. We see that the new creation will be a place of peace, a place where people will build homes that won't be destroyed where they will dwell together in harmony, even the animal world, where the wolf and the lamb will dwell together, where there's divisions and war and famine, there will be peace and unity and abundance. And the earth, Isaiah 11, 9, will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We get further glimpses of that in the book of Revelation, as we've heard this morning, that God will, will together with all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations, be worshiping him together. There's a cosmic scope of salvation. And this is our promised inheritance as believers. The old is gone. This this old way of living according to the flesh is in the past. And behold, the text says, a way of getting our attention, the new has come. And it's still coming. 
The, the, the original verb tense here would have us understand that what happened in the past has continual effects for the present and into the future. If any of you are Marvel fans, you know that there is an entire Marvel universe. Um, I sometimes get mixed up on the timeline, but what I always find interesting is how many of the events of the movies and the new TV shows on Disney Plus revolve around the events that happen in the movie Endgame. Now, if you haven't seen Endgame, I recommend that first you watch the movies in order. Uh, we went to see Endgame a few years ago, only to realize when we finished the movie, I had not seen Infinity War yet. And so I was very confused for those of you who have seen it can imagine. But in the movie Endgame, the Avengers work together to bring about a, a, a renewed universe to reverse the curse of what has happened to create destruction. And at the end of the movie, there, there's an act of sacrificial love that does reverse the curse, and it happens in an instant. We see immediate effects. Evil begins to disappear. But we also see over time there are ripple effects that, that a new restored universe has come about. This one single result leads to, to different lives. So the, the Avengers who live on into this new universe have a sense of responsibility to work for a better world as a, as a sense of gratitude. Well, friends, we, we're not Avengers, but we have, if we are in Christ, been brought into the beginning of a new creation. That with the resurrection of Jesus, a, a new creation has begun to emerge. And our inheritance, when we have an inheritance in it, when we, when we repent and believe, we receive the Holy Spirit and He transfers our citizenship into the kingdom of God. So that as believers, we live with a, with a dual citizenship. We live on this earth where there's still pain and brokenness, but we also live knowing that our citizenship is in God's kingdom, in this new creation, and that is where we are headed. So there's this already but not yet tension that we live out. So we receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that, that this promise is where we are all headed. But as we see in the text, this, the Spirit who, who uh, brings about a new creation in us and in all of the universe does not keep us where we are. If you read in verse 20, we see a forward movement. Therefore, verse 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're tasked with the responsibility as new creation citizens to, to share about what God has done and what he is doing and what he will do. Now, that doesn't mean that it will be easy, as we saw with Paul, he, he didn't fit the typical profile of the ambassadors. He didn't have all the rights and responsibilities that ambassadorship was supposed to provide. We see later on in this chapter, he will go on to describe all the troubles and difficulties that he faces because he is a representative for Christ. And Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, that in this world we will have trouble, but we can take heart because we know he has overcome the world. 
And so if we truly understand that when we are are brought into Christ, that we are made new, uh, our citizenship is in heaven, this uh, this change should affect us to to go forth as ambassadors, as part of the church, to share what God has done. We don't go forth as heroes or avengers with our heads held high. We go forth in confidence and humility, having received a gift that none of us deserved— and depending on the Holy Spirit to lead us forth to a world where there is lostness and pain and brokenness and despair and depression and famine and war with the news that there is peace with God, that you can be at peace with God. And this God whom we behold is the God who reconciles people to himself through his Son, empowering them by his Spirit as new creation ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. Let us pray.